Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Sam George. I'm Ray Permy. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we have a first-time guest co-pilot joining us, Salvador Manzo. Salvador, welcome to the R4 Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. And before we get into the episode, I'd just like to give a shout-out to our newest patron. On our $10 legend tier, we have Matt Carwick. (laughs) Massive amounts of praise and thanks to you, Matt. And to all our listeners, if you'd like to help the podcast out with a monthly donation, head on over to our Patreon page and select one of the four tiers that have different levels of rewards and bonus material for you to check out. We would greatly appreciate it, but whether you become a patron or not, you all rock. So on this episode, we're going to review Led Zeppelin's 1969 self-titled debut album. So Salvador, we'll start with you being the guest. Where do you come in with Led Zeppelin and the first record? My uncle, he, he introduced me to the blues, and I listened to the Muddy Waters um, version. And I think as, as everybody gets introduced to Led Zeppelin with, uh, you know, Stairway to Heaven. So obviously I listened to that a couple of times, but it wasn't until like my freshman year of high school that I listened to the version of You Shook Me. So uh, that's what introduced me to Led Zeppelin 1. And after that, I mean, I did a complete deep dive into the album and I just absolutely loved all the covers. I think it's more of a cover album than than anything. So yeah, that's how I got introduced to Led Zeppelin. Excellent. Sam, how about you? Man, uh, uh, I was in in utero when this was... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I was born, literally born. I grew grew up with this. This was my dad's jam. He had this album in, in the Sacred Album Collection that uh, you have covered many times on on this show, and really proud of that, by the way. And uh, it was just like I grew up with it. I remember listening to this when I was very, very young. So it's just always been there. All right, Prof. How about you? Well, Led Zeppelin was the first band that I really, really listened to. I was already a music fan, but Led Zeppelin was the one that I would listen to. And just it kind of opened up everything for me, not because they were considered cool, but because they were so damn good. Um, There was so much going on in their music. Page's riffs and his vicious guitar style and Plant's emotive blues wails. Bomb swinging assault on the drums and Jones who I consider the ultimate secret weapon on, on bass keys and bass pedals. It would seem like that guy, no matter how crazy the musical idea was, he could make it work. He was just like the anchor of everything early in junior high school. I became a fan first with the song remains the same, which I dubbed on a 90 minute Memorex tape. You remember those? Oh yes. (laughs) And I proceeded to wear that thing out. It got to the point where I could pick out all of their cues in every song from that live album, every cue to improvise, to stretch the song out, the communication between the band. I picked up on all of it. Um, the cues to bring it back around. I recognize them in every live recording I've ever, I've ever heard from them. And I have a ton of their live recordings. I have so many bootlegs from Zeppelin. It's not even funny. They had such a free and easy communication between them, even with the vocalist, which is really rare. Um, it's like nothing I've ever heard until I discovered jazz. 
Zeppelin as a band opened up music for me. I liked it before, but after hearing Zeppelin, I really fell in love with music. Then after the song remains the same, I got into Led Zeppelin 2, which is what I consider to be an almost perfect album from start to finish. And it probably some somebody disagrees. Then the fourth the fourth album, and then the first album. And this one always evokes thoughts of gray skies and late autumn in northeastern Ohio for me. I guess that's just when I first listened to it. That's when I got into Zeppelin and this album. Lou. I remember hearing my mom play a whole lot of love uh, when I was a wee lad, like three. One of my earliest memories is sitting in her, her lap and singing a whole lot of love. <laughs> we do that. In uh, I love that part. Uh, she bought me the 45 and I remember the red Atlantic label and it had a spiral on it. And if you looked at it while it was spinning from the top, the spiral would spin the other way. Um, anyway, fast forward to like 11 and uh, 11 year old Lewis asking for records for Christmas and Led Zeppelin two was on the top of my list because of that song I heard years earlier. The record became a favorite of mine and I got the song remains the same after. And uh, as a matter of fact, on that same um, TDK type one XL two. Uh, oh, no, that was Max L. Anyway, it was a TDK <laughs> tape anyway that I got song remains the same on and that had everything on it that I really wanted. It had uh, stairway to heaven. It had a live version, a whole lot of love. I really liked that even better than this. I remember seeing the album led Zeppelin, um, this one with the, the black and white blimp on the cover and my uncle's record rack, but I never really actually heard it um, until years later. I knew them as the, you know, the whole lot of love band. Uh, <laughs> I think it was sometime in the, the early 90s that it came out with that box set that had the four CDs in it. Yeah. And then the second box set with the two CDs. That was a big deal. I remember that. that, was, that was and it cr- had every song that they did between the two. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was, I was saying that was like that was a Christmas gift for a bunch of folks. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, man. It came out and I was like, every kid... Hell, we all wanted that one. You know? Right, it was newly remastered, right? Because everybody knew that the original CD sounded like shit. So Paige yeah, went in right, and remastered yeah. the material. I yeah. never bought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never bought the CD. So I never got any of the, the individual CDs. I actually got more used to the CDs track list, that box sets track list, than the original albums. And it wasn't really till the the resurgence of the vinyl. You know, did we'll we'll get into that in, into the LPs. I'm really gonna try hard not to stay uh, to stay away from calling anything fucking vinyl anymore. It's just wrong. Um, they're <laughs> records, they're LPs, yeah. they're not vinyls. Yes, oh, great. Um, especially yep. coming from someone who grew up without the internet. I well, anyway, I scoured flea markets and garage sales until I found the and, and I got the whole catalog on LP. I wanted the originals. I I heard the remixes, um, and while they're outstanding in their own way, I'd rather just listen to these records. How I'm used to them, the same as the Doors. So we've already covered Led Zeppelin 3 and 4 on the podcast, so I'll try to make this quick. My father was a fan of Zeppelin, so I heard a handful of their albums a ton as a kid. He had four, uh, Houses of the Holy, and three. And then in my late teens, I met a co-worker who inspired me to do a deep dive into the rest of the band's catalog that just turned me into a fanatic. Now, the first album, I didn't get until later on a little bit, mostly because it didn't have as many recognizable songs on it for me at the time. And when I got it, I was like, huh, you know, this is kind of basic. 
But man, over the years, this one grew on me more and more until it's where I feel about it today. And I'd go as far as to say that out of all the Zeppelin albums, this one rose the highest from where I originally thought of it to where it sits in my Zeppelin quote-unquote rankings right now. Now I'll lay out some basic facts about this record, and my fact-finding mission led me straight to Wikipedia. Led Zeppelin is the self-titled debut album by English rock band Led Zeppelin, released on January 12, 1969 in the United States and on March 31, 1969 in the United Kingdom on Atlantic Records. It was produced by Jimmy Page and was recorded from September to October 1968 at Olympic Studios, London, England. It reached number 6 on the UK Albums Chart and number 10 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified two times platinum by the BPI and eight times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Robert Plant on lead vocals and harmonica, Jimmy Page on electric, acoustic, and pedal steel guitars and backing vocals, John Paul Jones on bass, organ, and backing vocals, and John Bonham on drums, timpani, and backing vocals. Additionally, Viram Jasani plays tabla on one track. All right, let's dive into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The lead-off track is Good Times, Bad Times, written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, and Robert Plant. No Salvador, what do you think? I mean, this this song, I mean, it just it, it exemplifies what being a teenager and getting your, you know, influence from your father. I mean, to tell you, like, what it means to be a man, I mean, that could be interpreted so many ways. And my girl and I kind of just completely, like, we got our minds blown because we were, like, thinking about, like, all the possibilities of what this song means. And, um, you know, it's like a son being taught, like, well, how to be a man by his father. Which explains why he's like, I think it explains why he's so unbothered when like his woman left home with for a brown eyed man, but he still doesn't seem to care. So I, I feel like, you know, his dad told him, you know, whatever, you know, if you break up with her, whatever, you know, there's more fish in the sea, that type of thing that fathers say. But he falls in love again at 16. And um, it kind of seems like a sense of rebellion, because at the end, I mean, the, the tone of the song changes dramatically. I mean, you know, because at the end of the song she's like i'm gonna love he's he's like i'm gonna love you each and every day so it really seems like he changed what his dad had taught him and i think that's i think that's lovely you know the whole whispered in your ear part of the song can be interpreted a lot of ways you know dirty or whatever you want so yeah all right sam oh good job young man uh i dig it very good job uh, and I love uh, this. Uh, I love this song. I've always loved this song. But what a way to introduce yourself as a fucking band, man! I mean, this is the first song on the, your first album, and you're just like, "Ban it, it, get the fuck out of here, man! That's fucking awesome, man!" And fucking John Bonham, 
It's just like, it's thunderous, man. He's like, I'm here. And he's like, you're going to fucking hear it, whether you like it or not. And it's in your face. And I love it so much, man. And it's such a great riff, that first verse, you know. I mean, it's like a classic riff, man. I mean, guitar players, one of the first riffs they, they learn how to play. It's like, oh, man, I can play this song. But, you know, in the second riff on the second verse, I, I think I like that one even better. When he goes down, like you were saying, buddy, he was uh, like 16 and fell in love. That part right there is really cool, man. Well, it, it drops down, and it just is so fucking groovy and jazzy, man. I really love it. And I like at the end of the damn song, and and Jonesy. I'm going to call him Jonesy because they call him Jonesy. So Jonesy's holding it down like a monster, man. And I don't, I don't know if uh, Sabbath had heard them before. They heard Sabbath before, man. But there's some similarities there in their sound or the way they play. I don't know. Maybe it's and I really love the call and response uh, when it goes out when between page and plant when he goes that's a shout out to Ray Z by the way. I just love that on the outro, man. This is a great fucking song, and uh, it's a classic banger. I love it, Professor. Okay, Zeppelin. <sighs> we have to go back because the idea of Led Zeppelin actually came with Jimmy Page. In 1966, on uh, May 16th and 17th, 1966, at IBC Studios in London, one of the very first super sessions was formed. Um, Jeff Beck, who was being allowed to by the Yardbirds to kind of record on his own things, he was playing lead. Jimmy Page was on acoustic and 12-string electric guitar. Mickey Hopkins of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles' Hey Jude was on keys. They recruited Keith Moon from The Who, and John Entwistle was supposed to show up to play bass, but he backed out in the last minute to come and record Beck's Bolero. Um, John Baldwin would later become known as John Paul Jones. Cream was being formed at the same time, and the managers of The Who and Eric Clapton shared an office building, and Beck was in the Yardbirds, so he knew he knew of Clapton's plans to form Cream, and Jimmy had to had to have an idea as well of what was going on with Clapton. The song Bex Bolero is a clear glimpse at the coming shift in music towards a heavier direction. It's Beck's first solo recording and has been described as one of the greatest rock instrumentals, epic in scope, harmonically and rhythmically ambitious, yet infused with a primal energy. In the song, when you listen to it, Keith Moon did a fill that sent a microphone flying off its stand just by the massiveness of the fill itself. Although that's probably like truth, you know, fiction over truth. He probably hit the thing and knocked it over. <laughs> um, Moon can be heard screaming as, as he begins his fill at one minute, 31 seconds in the song. They were satisfied with the take because the rest of the song, Moon's cymbals are the only clear drums that is that you can hear that's mic. The rest of his drums are muted, which is too bad because he was really going full Mooney on them. That whole session caught Page's attention about the importance of a loud and dynamic drummer. Jeff Beck said that the band was the first version of Led Zeppelin, not called Led Zeppelin, even though John Entwistle said that they wanted to call it Led Zeppelin because they were the Entwistle and Moon were angry with the Who. The Who hadn't really broken out yet. They didn't come out until 67 where they really broke it big. So Beck, Page and Hopkins Moon with hopefully Entwistle were supposed to be this band and they were going to try to recruit Steve Marriott or Steve Winwood. Incidentally, Steve Marriott, who was managed at the time by Don Arden, yeah, Sharon Osbourne's dad. He basically threatened them, and uh, they all backed off. And then the Who began to tour, and the Yardbirds started a tour. 
And so the whole matter took a back burner, but the idea stayed with Page and probably with Jones, too, since he was involved. Page joined the Yardbirds as the bass player in June on June 18, 1967, and uh, Bex Bolero was released as a single in March 10, 1967, and then released on the album Truth in early 1968. But the fact that that band happened, it kind of stuck with Page the whole time. So he knew what he wanted when he wanted to make Led Zeppelin. To put it into context, everybody knows he was a session guy since 1963. Page was rich. There's no other way of putting it. The average income of England at the time for the average male for the household income was like 12 pounds a week, which is really seemed kind of, kind of small. Page and John Paul Jones were making 60 pounds a session, and they worked a couple of sessions a week. So they were making five times as much as their parents were making in a week. And they did that for years. So they were making some, some bank, although they got bored. Yeah, they were, because it's Jimmy fucking Page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, but he had a house. He had a house when he was like 22. <laughs> what 22 year old buys a house? Mm. So, Jimmy Page. yeah, Jimmy Page, <laughs> the, uh, the most attractive looking girly uh, guitar <laughs> player I've ever seen. Anyway, so good times, bad times. The song starts off with that bold, almost growling, bomb, bomb. And then that hi hat, that one, two, three, and bomb, bomb. And that, that Hyatt cadence doubles up with a hint of swing, bomb, bomb, and then a full swing with the cowbell over the hi-hat. And it just continues. And then that nifty falling down fill, although not hitting nearly as many drums, it reminds me of a Keith Moon fill. It just kind of just falls down. And then Plant comes in with that cock rock swagger of in the days of my youth. And then that crazy triplet with the 26 inch kick drum that Bonham plays that mystified every drummer I've ever known. Page's guitar growls and Jones comes in with that the coolest bass line mirroring the main riff, mirroring but still distinctive. All eight, all of this happens within 18 seconds of the song. The production on this is heavy. It's got a full bottom end, much more than any other recording at the time, but it's not overpowering. It's a very live song to the recording. Like the listeners there in the room, it doesn't sound like a studio recording at all. It doesn't have that kind of sterileness. All the instruments have space to breathe, and there's that faint echo in your ear in the performance hall. Just like there's like ghost echoes in there a couple of times, some ghost vocals. As the song moves into the chorus, the chorus that everyone sings along to, where Bonham packs in fill after rumbling fill, Stop, and then Jones' bass takes that nice transitional turn, and it's just a really great dynamic. And then he goes into that sweet 16. Jones' bass really grabs me after that second verse. He plays a counter melody to Page's riffs. By 110, you realize that this song, by this song, you realize that there isn't a slouch in this band. The chemistry between them leaps from the speakers. The second chorus, he still doesn't seem to care. Bam, that full stop, and then that solo that Leslie speaker-driven solo that pans from the left to the right along with the Leslie. It's a brief, aggressive solo, flashy, without overstaying its welcome, and it only lasts 20 seconds, but nobody forgets it. It's not the first song to use a Leslie speaker on the guitar solo, which was usually used with a Hammond organ. The Beatles' It's Only Love from the album Help was the first one that used it. Third chorus stop, and that bass line just strolls right through it, and then comes that play-out riffing, Sounds like Page is just strangling that telly. 
and Bonham is playing crazy fill after fill, all supporting Plant's scant singing. This is a hell of a way to open an album. The song that has an urgency to it that captures an angst. Music often expresses a feeling or emotion that can't be put into words, and this song does just that. For every prepubescent teenager on the planet in perpetuity, this is the song that they go to. So I laughed when you said that, Sal, about how your girl likes this and what they're singing about. I'm like, he ain't singing about being nice to no chick. (laughs) um, This is an original song, no doubt, pieced together during their rehearsals for and most likely during their brief Scandinavian tour, which, I mean, they're they're really unlike any other band that came together. They They weren't together for years. They, they came together within like 11 weeks and then they were recording this. But that's all I got on this one. That's a right. mouthful. Yeah. But, <laughs> hey, that's the, the professor, everybody. That's the fucking. <laughs> Just took us to school. You, yeah. Can I ask you a question, though, that I want you, you mentioned something, Prof, that I'm really interested in. I can't because I'm a telly guy. And this, most of this record, it wasn't, if it wasn't an acoustic, was played on that damn pink and green. That uh, telly. Yep. Except yeah. for one song. Yep. Yes, right. and, and uh, I'm a man, and it's like the way he can switch back and forth between pickups and and tone. He, you know, the the telly is unique with where the tone and pickup selector is, man. But he seem- rides that thing like a dirt bike, seem- man. Seamless, <laughs> yeah. And you can't even tell unless you're listening for it, man. I love tellies too. Well, I love tellies so fucking. Yeah, he got he got that telly from Jeff Beck. Because yeah. he recommended Jeff Beck to play in the Yardbirds, and Jeff Beck gave that to him as a gift. All the footage of that is in black and white too. That just does not give that guitar any any uh, justice at all. That paint job on that thing is like almost invisible. He's got this fluorescent paint yeah, job of a dragon still, on it, and it you can't even yeah. see it in all the black and white footage. It it just looks like you know just. The wood tone almost. Yeah, Fender did a replica of it. Like, yeah, uh, for way too much fucking ago. money. Of course. $1,500. Yeah. $1,500. Was it? Well, I thought it was $2,500. Or was that? Or, or $25,000. But that was the Van Halen one they did. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy yeah. my own deli and do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just get a basic deli and then put what you want in it. It's great. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Lou, your turn. Fuck Fender and fuck their custom shop. Anyway. <laughs> Burner. <laughs> Burner. <laughs> Burner. <laughs> Falling down the fucking stairs drum fill. I love it, Ray. In the days of my youth, I was told what it means to be a man. Fuck yeah, Robert. So badass. I hear they started that with the hardest riff they could so they all could focus. That was what uh, John Paul Jones said in an interview. But what an opening. Oh, my God. This is the perfect intro to, to the juggernaut that we will grow up with what we called Led Zeppelin. What a band. Heavier than the Who. Drummer just as crazy good. Even better. And that singer, what the fuck is that singer all about, man? (laughs) Howling white boy blues before howling white boy blues was a thing. Layer upon layer of sonic pounding. This song builds to a wall of sound frequency with every gigahertz filled with solid mother 
fucking rock. Our hero is groaning about how his woman is leaving from home. Leaving home with a brown-eyed man, and he don't seem to care. I'm glad it don't bother you, robot. (laughs) (laughs) And for the next few songs, you're really going to need that attitude. Keep an open mind. It's a great intro to this band. I could see how the world didn't know what the fuck to do with these guys. I mean, oh, I, oh. That's all I got. <laughs> Isn't it kind of interesting that they never played this live? Did they only they played the, Oh, no, they, they played played the Until the O2. The intro, and then they, they went right yeah, into the communication breakdown. They, right. they only yeah. played it at the O2. They yep. never played this one fully live. Right. So. Yep. Incredible. Good fact, Prof. We've got so many people on this podcast, I'm going to forego my usual breakdown of the songs and just give my general thoughts on the tracks. Everybody was saying, it's a big, bombastic opener. It gives each member a chance to shine and shows what they bring to the table. Bonham's pounding power. Page's screaming licks and solos. Plant's patented wail. And Jones hanging back and adding flourishes where needed. Love this. Zeppelin always open their albums with a bang, and this surely announces there's a force on the rock scene to be reckoned with. This was the album's only single that reached number 80 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The next track is Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, written by Ann Bredin, with additional credits to Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Sam, what do you think? Okay. This is my dad's favorite Zeppelin song. I'm not sure why. He's just got some kind of thing, but he lived it. He walked it like he talked it. So in honor of my dad, I'm going to say fuck sticks and fuck Chicago with this damn chord progression. Sticks is uh, sweet Judy blue or whatever the fuck that shit is. And 25 or six to four and shove it up Chicago's ass too. I don't like either one of those. This is, Fucking babe, I'm going to leave you. And that's what it is. And if Prince wants to swipe it for anything, that's fine. It's Prince. So having said that, I really love this song. Uh, I, I learned how to play this song. And uh, it's one of those, it's, a, it's another fucking classic banger, which is I'm going to say this over and over go, over again in this thing. It kind of takes you on a journey, too. The fucking song is it's like uh, it pulls you in. And then like, I think Lou might call it, you know, like you you know, edge until the, the very perfect time to, to just let it go. <laughs> That's how this song does that for me personally. So I really love it. And uh, I love to make fun of plant singing it, you know, because sometimes he's ridiculous. <laughs> he goes, when he goes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm never, never, never going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know what to do with that, but I just listened to that part. But I love him so much because he can get away with that shit. And uh, uh, I love his song. And this is this is from a dad here. I love it. Ray P. I love this song. 
Jimmy Page also was known for loving folk music long before he joined the Yardbirds. Page studied at Sutton Art College before he became a musician. Undoubtedly where he got his musical concept of chiaroscuro, which is Italian for light and dark. In art, this is the use of a strong contrast between light and shade, usually using bold contrast affecting a whole composition. The band just walloped you with good times, bad times, and then immediately Page's acoustic strumming comes in. And the echo on Plant's voice just gives us that live feel. Now, I heard these two Canadian guys on a podcast rip this song a new one. They were very pleased with themselves grandstanding for each other, and I couldn't disagree with them more. I really, I mean, God, I know. I know everybody's listening to a podcast where, like, I don't agree, I don't agree, but I wanted to find these guys and, and just, like, hurt them after <laughs> I heard the way that they treated this song. They felt that it could have been trimmed down and parts taken out. I don't know if that's just because I'm so familiar with this song, but I don't think any part of this song needs to go. I just shook my head and flipped off the speaker as I was hearing them down this song over and over. Plant and Page both bonded over the idea of doing this song in a heavy way. Back when Plant visited Page's boathouse when he was asked to join the New Yardbirds. Page had a clear vision of the direction the band was going to take, and the first two songs on this album clearly reveal that direction. Bluesy, emotional singing by Plant. Hard to believe he's only just turned 20 years old by like a couple of days when he recorded this. And that build up and release of babe, 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 <laughs> I want to leave you. That is awesome. I ain't joking, woman. I got to ramble. That's just a couple of ghost vocals behind the music there. Can't make out who or what they are saying. It just adds to the barely restrained emotion of this song. That first pounding build up again, and then the acoustic picking it just it's just, it's like a slide or something that just goes or an organ that makes that rising note it's just so creepy and cool and then comes mr bonham to violently drive this song home at 318 page's acoustic solo is bluesy and almost spanish and plants lust-filled wails for baby at the end just make me laugh so he does go over the top but Damn, it's such a good song. And I saw Pink do this. I took my wife to a Pink concert. Yes, and she did I it. And that. she killed this. <laughs> so, and that was like, okay, I'm a Pink fan for that. Me so, too. Yeah, that's just, just a great song. Lou. Well, here it slows down to a slow, steady burn with a Joni Mitchell feel to it. That arpeggiated acoustic picking is burned into my head from a terrestrial radio. It's still listenable, and I wind up beating on my steering wheel when the drums break in. Again, layer upon layer of bass and guitars and drums, all the while Robert Plant moaning and howling in the wet, reverbed room about how he's going to leave her in the summertime. Well, summertime's as good as any to do it, Mr. Plant. I mean, you'll have the rest of the summer to play the field. You could also wait till the fall. Um, then there's the whole Christmas thing. The advantage to you there is that you don't have to buy some ridiculous gift for only to get it wrong and feel the wrath of the pissed off girlfriend over the holidays. But the downside is being alone for New Year's. <laughs> you could get lucky a little after midnight. You know the rule. Nothing after 2 a.m. is ugly. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, it's a lot less money that way. You, you don't have to answer to anyone, which is great. But then there's your mom calling you, asking you why you haven't settled down with a nice girl. <laughs> Although you could get a classy looking hooker for the holidays, <laughs> you know, back home just to shut them up. Um, I'm sure you could afford that by, ma- by now, Mr. Atlantic recording artist. I mean, maybe not if it is your first record, but if, if you think about it, it probably costs less than a full-time girlfriend, um, without the headache and the drama and the agita. I mean, yeah, man, get the fuck out of there now. <laughs> Jesus fuck. Um, in all seriousness. This Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You is, is a great track. I love the riff. And that little, at, you know, like when yeah. you have it on yep. a headphone. Fuck, oh. You know, Jimmy was a great producer. Um, it shows the whole band firing on all eight cylinders. I'm giving two to each. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Robert's, Robert's voice is prime. It's raw. Um, Ah, the ignorance of youth. <laughs> but this, this really showcases them. Love this tune. Okay, Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm a bit shocked by what everybody else said, but I, I agree with Ray P, though, um, about the Canadian podcaster. It's about, about taking it down a couple of minutes. That's oh, ridiculous. you heard that, huh? Come on, like, <laughs> seriously, what? you got to be crazy. you got to be out of your mind. Um, no, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. I think one of the most, like, to me, one of the most, like, coolest parts is the whole, like, you know, the ghost vocals, you know, like in 142, I think. The, I can hear it calling me before he actually screams it out. Um, I think that was pretty cool, too. And it's just such a different version from the original and the one that, um, who was it? Uh, John Baez. Yeah, John Baez, yes. Um I mean, come on. I mean, not to not to like you know be mean to John Bias, but that's a pretty crappy version. I really like it. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the song is just amazing. I mean, this the hurt is is there. I mean, you could hear it. You could hear it in his voice, and uh, he really interpreted it and made it his own. And I think it's amazing. I think um, my girlfriend also liked this, and I also learned this song on guitar. You know, I think it's essential. You know, it's kind of easy. You know, it's an A minor. So um, it's amazing, and you know, it's it's that sort of song that you could play in a family gathering. And everybody's like, "What the hell's going on here?" Because you know, uh, it feels personal, and um, I think it's just a great song. And I, I, I can't believe they just completely made it their own. And I mean, if you hadn't heard the John Baez version, I mean, you would have you would have thought that this was theirs because it's just how much they made it their, their, theirs. So I think it's amazing. So like Salvador said, this is the first of the borrowed songs on the album, and this bears <laughs> virtually no resemblance to either the Anne Breden banjo blues original or the Joan Baez cover that this version is supposedly based on. Both those versions are fine, but this this takes it to a whole... I mean, there's a saying, the, another level, this is like, you know... 50,000 levels above those versions. It's really a showcase of Page's outstanding acoustic riffing and Plant's sense of drama and dynamics with the vocals, right? Already we're getting a sense of the light and heavy musical collisionist band we've been known for. Like the prof said that, whatever you said that was, whatever that was. Yeah, all that, yeah, that stuff. Wherever you stand on the fence of Zeppelin's borrowing material, 
This was originally credited as traditional, arranged by Jimmy Page. Breden finally got her due credit in 1990, along with a hefty check of back royalties. But come on, you know and I know this track belongs to Led Zeppelin, and most of the many subsequent covers of it do it in the Zeppelin style. I'm thinking you know, like Great White, and I know there's others that are, are just escaping my brain pan right now, but come on, this is a Zeppelin track. You just mentioned Great White with Led Zeppelin. Lightning should strike you. Yeah, probably. Oh, <laughs> dear. Might as well say Kingdom Come. <laughs> God. The following track is You Shook Me, written by Willie Dixon and J.B. Lenoir. Prof, hit us. This is one of two songs that caused a rift between Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck. Oh, yes. This song appeared on Jeff Beck's Truth. It was all of two minutes and 29 seconds long. Zeppelin's version clocks in at six minutes, 29 seconds. It is a heavy, plodding, 12-bar blues standard with a call and response between Plant and Page. Everything a lustful soul engulfed deep in the flames would cry out. From the soul-piercing lick of pages to start the song, to Plant's vocal delivery, to the organ solo, to the guitar solo, and the desperation in Plant's voice at the end of this song, this is liquid lust. Um, (laughs) It kind of reminded me of a young, awkward airman who deployed with us back in the 1990s. Uh, We went to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and then to some other crap backwater Florida town. And to blow off some steam, the group that we were traveling with, they always wanted us to travel in groups and stay together, they decided they wanted to go to a strip club. Normally I hated these places, believe it or not. So they were always a little too sleazy, and trust me, the strippers were usually too skanky. But this one had the best-looking girl-next-door strippers I'd ever seen. And the young airman was wide-eyed. And he was kind of a, he was an awkward, he was our, our IT tech guy who probably never been outside (laughs) and a few of the group just kept getting him drinks and then they started buying him lap dances and then when we returned to the hotel like very drunk he ran into his room and locked himself in the bathroom for what seemed about a half an hour and he had to share that room with another guy and his roommate was not pleased about this at all and he had all of us like 10 of us standing in the room pounding on the door and he came out with this look on his face that only confirmed what we already knew Um, (laughs) I'm sure he slept like a baby that night and no, he never lived that episode down with us. When I first heard this song, 13 year old Ray was initially bored with it. And 21 year old Ray really wanted to meet a chick that could shake me like this Mm. plant plays a flying V on this one. Whose humbucker pickup actually overpowers his amp during the solo at four minutes, 23 seconds to about four, four minutes, 30 page makes this ax moan and howl. Um, Jones's Hammond work on this makes this makes the church lady blush. Plant handles the harp solo well on this one. For the most part, Bonham is kind of caged. He's not really allowed to run free except for a few fills here and there. 
the song has the famed Jimmy Page backwards echo effect, which is used at the end of the song. It's cool as shit. Yeah, although with the mic bleed and echo, it gets a little bit muddied there. After a few times, it's clear, and it adds a definite punch to the song, even if the song itself is kind of, as a trope for, for white English boy blues, it's kind of tired and long in the tooth, but Zeppelin really kind of owns this. I'm going to chalk the, the fact up that they used this song as not having that much material to record with in the first place, and that's why they included this one, even though it captures the wanton lust better than Beck's version by Miles. That's all I got. Lou. Well, here we have our heroes ripping off Willie Dixon for the first time (laughs) and certainly not the last time. (laughs) He recorded this a few years before in 1962. If no one's heard it, can we claim it's ours, right? (laughs) Jeez, Jimmy. Come on. I know good artists borrow and great artists steal, but is that where you're coming from? Uh, I I guess he said, thank you guys for the exposure. Uh, I wonder if you'd felt the same if Hart or Whitesnake, Whitesnake started putting out songs like 10 Years Gone or Since I've Been Loving You, passing it off as their own. Just calling you out there, bud. (laughs) He's singing about how his girl shook him all night long. I mean, hey, this man fucks. (laughs) Uh, Which seems to be a pattern here. Love him and leave him. I mean, this is the blueprint for rock for the next 20 years. Straight up 12 bar blues done by four pasty faced English guys. Uh, Robert sounds like he's trying to dislodge his frenulum from his zipper throughout the song. Uh, Perhaps a bit of skin on the scrotum. Um, Either way, he's howling like your mama on a Saturday night after a few margaritas and the kids have gone to bed. (laughs) Jimmy Page delivers a soaring rapid-fire solo that trademarks his sound. Anyway, at the end, it seems like Robert got got it all sorted out and is feeling much better. That'll heal up fast, Rob. <laughs> Put some salve on it and leave it alone for a few days. <laughs> Don't touch Maybe go read a book. Then write your own song. <laughs> Salvador. Oh, I mean, I just think this, like I said, this song, I got introduced by it. It's funny that he said that nobody really listened to the Muddy Waters version, but coincidentally, that's how I discovered <laughs> the first album, which is kind of strange. But I just think this, this song is amazing. Um, the instrumental section of the song, I mean, that's probably my favorite version. My, my favorite favorite version, what the hell am I talking about? From uh, minute two, two, three to 4.54, the whole organ and harmonica solos and guitar solos, I mean, that's just, it's amazing. John Paul Jones on organ and Robert Plant on harmonica. I mean, when you hear that, you're just blown away. You're like, yeah, he can't just, he could also bust his lungs playing harmonica as well and obviously guitar i mean come on we we shouldn't even talk about the guitar that's it's amazing by itself uh, my girl said that the whole i have a bird that whistles apparently like british people say bird as like you know they try to talk like that to women they reference women as birds but i i had like a really long discussion about the fact that this wasn't written by them and i don't know why 
was it Willie Dixon who wrote it? Why he would write it about you know a bird, like how they mention it in, um, in British uh, context. And she just went on and on, and she didn't believe me that Willie Dixon had wrote, I don't, wrote it. I don't think he was talking about a girl there. I think mm-hmm. he was talking about something else. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I just try to keep it clean, but I mean, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of cute that she thinks that it's it's that, but I I was like, no, it's kind of sus. I think he's talking about something else. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I just think it's amazing, and I mean, the lyrics on this. It's kind of hard to kind of, you know, relate them and affiliate them with Led Zeppelin since they didn't write it. But like I said, every song in this album, cover or not, I mean, they just make it their own. And I just think it's so freaking amazing how they just do to get the job done. But to be fair now, there was a lot of English blues bands that were playing this song. This was a trope. Oh, yeah. This was Life. John Mayhall was playing this. Alexis mm-hmm. Corner was playing this. This was not, this was not, this was just like a standard song that they all played. That's yeah. why Jeff Beck included it with, with uh, Rod Stewart yeah. singing it. You're they were right. all doing it, but Zeppelin really <laughs> took it to a different level. So, yeah, I think Jimmy Page was like super scared about it sounding similar to uh, the, Jeff Beck's version. And I'm like, come on, that's, that's BS. He knew that he had, he had released it. I mean, come on, they're friends. Obviously, they're going to well, listen to each other's yeah, albums. Yeah. He acted like he didn't know it, and then John Paul Jones was in on that session, and he didn't. He acted like he didn't remember. <laughs> yeah, Yay. that's what I. Yeah. <laughs> Sam. Well, man, um, I'm. You guys said everything that I could have possibly said, but um, I, I love it it's because it's a sleazy blues rocker man with some sick ass sliding, loud ass fucking drums that's, with sick solos by every everybody, even Robert Plant. And uh, I love the part when when he's on the harmonica and he goes does like an Ian Anderson flute thing goes. Yeah, I love that shit, man. Ian Anderson did that with the tolly, right? He, All the goes, time, yeah, yeah, time. Whatever he was doing, standing on one leg. Anyways. But yeah, man, it's a great fucking song, and it's every damn so everybody like shows off too, man. And I really like, love that as a musician. Calling myself a musician seems pretentious, but I'm not. I mean, I just as a music lover, um, I really, I really like it when people do that, you know. And this song is for the sixty. What is it, sixty nine? Yep. It's held up, man. You can't deny this shit. This is fucking Led Zeppelin, and Willie Dixon or not, you're a brilliant, brilliant songwriter, but. Um, you're welcome. So there. <laughs> yeah, another cover tune. This one with a semi-complicated history, but most notable for the three famous versions, like we already referenced, Muddy Waters, Jeff Beck Group, and Zeppelin. This is the slowest and by far the longest version, with three, count them, three solos, one by Jones on organ, Plant on quite passable blues harp, and Page on heavily reverb guitar. Uh, like we said, it's an extended 12-bar blues, nothing more. And it does really showcase the neat trick of Plant vocally imitating Page's guitar that would become a trademark of early Zeppelin. Plus a neat studio trick of that reverse echo on Page's guitar, which I think is really cool. For my money, this is the best version. And I can't help but feel that this is Page one-upping his old bandmate Beck and rubbing his nose in it. Fuck you, Jeff Beck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
The next track is Dazed and Confused, written by Jimmy Page, inspired by Jake Holmes. Been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. Lots of people talking, few of them know. Soul of a woman was created below. Lou, lead us off. I first heard this song on The Song Remains the Same soundtrack. Then I, I saw the movie on, they were running on HBO. I was fucking mesmerized. This is the more sterile version that still drives home like a fucking sledgehammer. It, it just doesn't stretch out as far. John Paul Jones starts it out with that iconic, Descending bass line. It gets doubled by the guitar several octaves higher with that bendy harmonics that punctuates the phrasing. Again, Robert's howling right out of the gate. There doesn't seem to be a low setting with him. Um, He's always like mid boil. Ah! You know, um, I feel like the Max Hell guy whenever he opens his mouth. It's like a fucking jet engine. Uh, I'm grabbing my glass so it don't slip off the table. He's he's still complaining about his woman and how he never bargained for what he got. I mean, hey man, I know you had a bad spell. Maybe you should just hang it up and go full monk mode for a while, dude. <laughs> uh, there ain't no shame in that. You know, better on the wallet, too. Uh, the call and response between the bowed guitar and Robert mimicking the moon. Um, the, he sounds like he's masturbating on a rock in a cave somewhere. <laughs> it, it descends into that bow solo freak out. It gets way more played out in concert. So he's got a boner <laughs> <laughs> in a cave. <laughs> got a in boner a in a cave. But then Bonham counts it off that, and it just fucking scoops them all back up again and provides the way out of that fucking slow jam. And it gives John Paul Jones a driving beat to ride out that. I'm it's fucking insane. It would like Jimmy's just pentatonically fallaciating. It's these rings and strangles and he soars and dives with that fucking machine gun picking that he does, the slashing chords, the tangle fingered scale runs with Bonham. And he just tidies the whole thing up by it. They come crashing back into that ball boom, 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 and Robert's howling out the last of his concerns about how shitty his woman is and how bad she makes him feel. It's a fucking great track. It's better live, and this version gets a little mired by production. Salvador. 
I mean, what you guys basically said everything. I mean, mm-hmm. the only thing I can really bring up is the the uh, sole purpose of the song. I mean, the soul of a woman uh, was created below. I mean, <laughs> sure on. was, dude. You'll find that out. Real <laughs> <fast>. <laughs> I mean, come on, you could tell that. I mean, they're referencing hell and they're referencing Hades. I mean, come on, and I mean, the human screeches at five something five ten or something like that. I the guitar. It's the guitar or. Robert Plant. I mean, I cannot, I cannot, I can't tell if it's the guitar or Robert Plant because both are crazy. I mean, Robert Plant, the crazy ass um, screeches, and I can't tell if that's the guitar or the or, um, Robert Plant. And um, I just think it's just such a great song. I mean, and then didn't they like cut a verse from um, San Francisco? In the were, song remains the same. Yeah. 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 The, like, if you're going to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I. I I was looking at the lyrics and I was like, "Holy shit! That doesn't. That's not in the song. I definitely do not remember that being in the song." Um, but yeah, I think it's a pretty cool song, and and it just. I I also believe that the studio version doesn't do any justice. I mean, you have to hear this live. Live is so much better, and um, I mean, John Bonham's uh, drums and it just goes completely maniac on the drums, and I just think it's amazing. Sam. Again, good job, Salvador. Nice. Okay. I remember this song when I was very, very small. I remember hearing the song. It's like it was you know, always in the house. Dad always played records. The TV was never on. And if it was, it was like a gun smoke and the, the volume was all the way down because we were listening to something else. This song starts out with an unmistakable, as soon as you hear it on the, on the bass, you know exactly what it is. And, and uh, it's... And, in my DNA, it's one of those songs, you know, it's like I'll never not understand what it is immediately. And Paige fills in with his, you know, these little trippy shrieks with his bow, and he gives me a boner. <laughs> I'm a big, fat boner when he does that. <clears throat> he, he'll do it again later, and I'll get a boner then, too. It's from start to finish, it's undeniable. There's so many riffs. And, and, and fucking John Bonham is a... Is a a, a thunderous god he's uh telling everybody he's like i am the biggest baddest motherfucker on planet earth with these bombastic crashes on accenting these this trippy ass riff every time you know the song never gets old and plant and then one you know they go into this vamp and robert plant simulates sex with several small animals Scurrying together in a small cave with a pit. <laughs> and it always makes me smile. It always makes me smile every time. It's a, it's a fucking classic. I love this song. Prof. Oh, my God. Isn't it funny that this song, he they did this song right after Robert Plant got married? He got married, like, somewhere in the middle of this recording of That's this album. <laughs> and they go off on women the whole time. <laughs> This is almost a carbon copy of the Yardbirds version. Mm. Um, been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. Lots of people talking, few of them know. Soul of a woman was created below. Yeah, right down to the crescendo and the bomb, 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 between the drums and the bass. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny that Bonham's playing like the smallest kit you could imagine. And he's getting this huge sound out of it. He's only got like one or two floor toms and two race toms and a, a snare and a hi-hat and a crash and a couple other cymbals. And that's it. 
and he's just rocking the house right down to the crescendo and the when that violin bow segment that violin bow sounds like liquid mercury um the jake holmes song is mostly acoustic and the yardbirds basically lifted the whole thing and they just plugged in they kept the same lyrics zeppelin changed the lyrics a little bit this is basically a jam session with a call and response between page and plant it's it's uh just adds to that blistering solo of pages in this. It's really a vehicle to go off on an, on improvised tangents in concert, with more than a few guideposts to bring them back on track in within the song. The uh, 2007-02 had the most memorable failure in this when they all screwed up at the turnaround of the song. Page kind of jacks it up just before the nine minute mark, coming off the bridge following the solo. That ba 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 da dum, and he just kind of just lets it fall. But this is a hell of a good song. And if you never heard the live versions, the live versions stretch out to like the longest one is like 46 minutes, but oh, you never get shit. bored here. Yeah. You never get bored hearing it. I, I was never bored with, it. I got bored with Moby Dick a couple of times, but this one, I was always like, what a hell of a song. They just kind of go into everything. And they used to do the crunch in this. That's kind of what it grew out of. Uh, jam for this and it grew there was a couple other songs that grew out of the 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 jams in these parts the is anybody going to san francisco put some flowers in your hair was really big during the 73 tour so this is just a hell of a song what a way to end the the first side of the album (laughs) so another song that zeppelin didn't write it was written and recorded by American singer-songwriter Jake Holmes in 1967. Page brought it to the Yardbirds, and they performed it regularly in 68, like the prof was saying, including the section where Page used the violin bow on his guitar, which was first suggested to him by David McCallum Sr., who was the first violinist of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the Scottish National Orchestra, and the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And it's got that memorable bass line, that walks so slowly, it's practically crawling. I think uh, we had a couple guys imitating it already. Plant wailing away as only he can, while again also imitating the guitar. And then that bowed guitar section, it's eerie, it's haunting, and makes me think of a lonely humpback whale with an aching boner singing his horny little heart out. This is the song giving everybody boners. <laughs> In the middle of the track, the tempo speeds up and Page plays an excellent solo sans bow. And this track is a great example of how Bonham not only has the power to bash out the beat, he also has the finesse to dial back on the bombast and gently guide the song along when called for. This track, of course, like we've been saying, became a live staple and an absolute monster, allowing the musicians to improvise, stretching out to over 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Page originally took sole writing credit for the track. And it was that way for about 40 years until Jake Holmes, the true author of the song, sued for copyright infringement in 2010 and ended up with an out-of-court settlement and the credit of Inspired by Jake Holmes. Where the hell was he for so long? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy, that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> All that crap aside, Zeppelin turns this into a tour de force that leaves the original in the dust and the band is totally identified with this song. It's another song that they own. Fuck it. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Your Time Is Gonna Come, written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and Robert Plant. Playing your game. Drop me insane. Trouble's gonna come to you. 
Salvador, your thoughts? My girlfriend absolutely loves this song, and she loves the intro. I mean, I, I love it too, but it just sounds like you're getting you're getting your head smacked in the freaking organ uh, time and time again. But uh, other than that, I don't know if you guys noticed. It might just be my crazy. Wait, what hearing. did you say? You're oh, like smacked on the organ? Yeah, like <laughs> it sounds like you're getting freaking your head smacked on the organ because of that oh, crazy okay. ass freaking uh, uh, inst- uh, instrumental um, intro and. I like it, but it kind of it kind of doesn't set the tone for the rest of the song, which is kind of mellow. Of, I mean, that's my opinion. But I don't know if you guys heard. Uh, it might just be my crazy ass freaking um, hearing, but I kind of t- could tell like a kind of similarity with "Dear Mr. Fantasy" by um, Traffic. The whole da 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 da. You stole mm-hmm. it. There it is. You're yeah. A- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've. Job. I've I figured that out myself, and I, we were listening. Me and my girlfriend were listening and listening to it, and I was like, "Hold on, wait, what? This sounds this sounds crazy similar to um, uh, Dear Mr. Fantasy." And you, you guys confirmed it. He stole it, and um, yeah, I think pretty- it's just your crazy ass cell. I don't hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah, 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 but yeah, I think it's um, and this song. I mean, it it kind of exemplifies revenge, really. I mean, it's it said in the in the title. And um, you're going to make you going to make you pay for that great big hole in my heart. So yeah, and also it just explores themes of hurt and you know sort of selfish. Uh, it kind of depicts the girl as selfish, you know, because and in verse two he says, uh, "Made up my mind to break you this time. Won't be so fine. It's my turn to cry." So it kind of um, exemplifies the fact that he always focused on her and never focused on himself. Uh, but again, you guys may probably make it really crazy and tell me that that's not as nice as it sounds. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's amazing. Sam. Well, good job, Salvador. I, I think you're right, man. I agree with you on every count. The the woman in the, in the song is absolutely a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You know, and if if she is treats her man like that you know he's she's lying she's cheating she's hurting and that's all damn it that's she deserves, all you seem to do <laughs> he deserves, fuck she deserves, you yeah. <laughs> so, so your time is gonna come it's what i say when i roll off of her <laughs> anyways i love plant man i love the way robert plant sings this song it, I mean, he is so good at delivering these lines, man. You, you look for me, baby, but I'll be gone. And it's all I gotta say to you, mom. And it's like back into the chorus. <laughs> this I can't do it like he does, man, because it's fucking Robert playing. But I love the way this son of a bitch just delivers this whole song, man. It's uh, this one's a, a Robert Plant song, and I've, I've always been on a plant-based diet since my birth. This <laughs> is. This is uh, a staple in that. Um, other than that, I mean, the other guys, you know, they, they're, they're, they're there. That's wonderful. <laughs> Love <this> song too. <laughs> Ray P. The what goes around comes around song. Mm-hmm. Karma's gonna get you in the end. Yes. It's another <laughs> feminist affirming song by the Leds. <laughs> the surefire anthem for now. I love Jones's church organ intro, especially after days, how it just kind of pops in there. And uh, 
how he moves into that melody with Bonham cymbals crash and keeping time alongside Page's beautiful guitar. I just love his acoustic playing. I don't think he's ever played a recorded acoustic track that I have disliked. Um, lying, cheating, hurting, that's all you seem to do. Messing around with every guy in town, putting me down for thinking of something new. Always the same, playing your game, drive me insane. Damn, that chorus with Jones's swells and riffing and Bonham's brutal fills is just restrained anger. The second verse with that bottleneck played by Page is just, man, that's awesome. And that that end where where he just goes, you've been bad to me, woman, but it's coming back home to you. That is that is what awesome is made of. I love this song. Yeah, motherfucker. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Lou. What opens with John Paul Jones in his? I'm gonna guess a Wurlitzer or a church organ. Um, the guy really gets into the whole Ichabod Crane thing, doesn't he? Um. <laughs> Nice knickers, dude. Dig those shoes. <laughs> nice buckles. The acoustic finger picking makes me want to lay in the grass smoking a joint with a girl with a flower in her hair. The imagery in my head is sort of medieval. Like Sir Robin's minstrels. Telling the tale of brave Sir Robin running away. Um, his head smashed in, his heart cut out, and his liver removed, and his balls unplugged, and his nostrils <laughs> raped, <laughs> and his bottom burnt, and his penis done. That's enough. That's enough of that. Um, <laughs> get your puppy shirts, people. Get your puppy shirts. <laughs> no, I can't hear it. Um, again, Robert's got woman troubles. What else is fucking new? Uh, but he's leaving he's warning her that all his lying cheating hurting is all gonna make him leave okay dude that's the spirit let's stop complaining and do something positive let's dump the bitch and move on with a chance of being happy uh, still a great track from the best band you don't know what to make of it puts me in a great mood and that slide solo is that tits Hey, it's an original tune. Holy fuck, Nugget. And it's a good one. Just ask Traffic. I dig Jonesy's long organ intro. I dig Jonesy's long organ. I just said that. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, like you we're do. entering the Church of Zeppelin. <laughs> Hallelujah, Mama Knees. And the song itself is an acoustic folk rock number that somehow feels heavy due to the huge chorus. Your time is gonna come. Page plays some pedal steel that adds to the homespun, down-home feel of the song, and Plant holds back on the histrionics and just sings it. Nice. You can do it. Bonham, as usual, just adds the perfect fills at the right moments, and I've always loved this track. When I first got this on cassette, they had the sides reversed so that this was the opening track of the album. I didn't know that the album actually opened with uh, Good Times, Bad Times, because it was side two on my original cassette that I got. So... I was kind of a little bit puzzled when I got first got the CD. I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, that, that's not the first track. This Your time is going to come is the first track. I don't know. It was all fucked up. The following track is Black Mountain Side, written by Jimmy Page.
Sam, you like this one? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I can't not love it because it's a guitar song and, I, well, there you go. And I'm pretty sure it's in drop C and same tuning as like Bronyar and what's the other one? Is it Bronyar Stomp? No, maybe not. There's a couple of other ones. But Bronyar and Physical Graffiti, same tuning. And he uses the same shapes, you know, in this playing around. And But Paige can do this shit in his sleep. Um. I'm sure that he just sits around and just makes shit look like this one. And he was, you know, still, even though he was rich, he was still a fucking kid when he wrote this song, you know, and it's really great. And I love the way, you know, he accents the, with the uh, congas and stuff or con- whatever the percussion in the background. It's great. I love it. And uh, it's really imaginative. Nobody, uh, you know, had really, I guess a couple people have done this at this time, but, you know, it's really cool and unique, and uh, I, I love it. And I was I was going to ask if it was going to be the stinker, just to get it out of the way. There is no Lep, uh, Led Zeppelin stinker. I'm <laughs> okay, sorry. Don't not. fucking do it. No, right. I'm sorry. No, just don't. Rules, man. No, no. There's always been a stinker. Every fucking episode has a stinker. No, not with Zeppelin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, how about this just one? Fuck, don't fucking do it. <laughs> this is a... Uh, Two minutes and 13 seconds of Page's acoustic playing. He basically lifted Burt Jantz's uh, Black Waterside without the awful lyrics, if anybody's heard that. Um, the rambling notes and the turnaround and the crescendo are all identical. It's layered over the fade out of Your Time Is Gonna Come with some tabla playing in the background. Page plays a few chord sweeps before going into the drone like picking. He did play this along with White Summer in the Yardbirds, and this became a staple of Zeppelin live shows in one form or another until the 1980 European tour. It also, this song had a tangent that grew out of it that sparked the idea with Page that later became the main riff to Cashmere. Bet you didn't know that. Mm. At uh, 1 oh, minute and sir. 26 seconds, Page goes off into a freakout, for lack of a better term, that shows some Eastern influences before closing out the main riff and the melody again, and then it just comes to that stop. I like this song because I like Paige playing acoustic, and I got to be that guy. The correct pronunciation is Brauer. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not separate words. It's all one sound. It's Brauer stop. It's Welsh. And Welsh people speak a completely different language that makes no sense to anybody but Welsh people. Okay, I'm not Welsh, man. I know, I'm just letting you know. I was in England for, for four years, so that's how I know. So That's cool. I'm sorry, Prof. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> You'll still get a gold star, Sam. I'm going to get that gold star, damn it. <laughs> Lou. Here we find Jimmy ripping off a traditional folk song. I'm really not sure who we're ripping off, but we're ripping off someone. The tabla in the background is a nice touch, and whoever you said it was doing did a great job. Uh, I kept hearing the Zep 3 was a departure from the two previous twos, but um, I would have thought that this would fit perfectly in with Zep 3. Sure. This song is more of an intro to the next song, don't you think? I do. That's it. <laughs> Salvador. 
I mean, you guys basically said everything I could have said. Um, the only thing I wanted to quote was um, the fact that Jimmy Page explained to Guitar Player magazine in 1977 that it wasn't totally original on that. It had been more, it had been done in the folk clubs a lot. Annie Briggs was the first one that I heard do that riff. I was playing it as well. And then there was Bert Jank's version. Um, he was the one who crystallized all the acoustic playing as far as I'm concerned. Those first few albums of his were absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a ripoff too. Um, I think it was a pretty scummy move to, you know, say that he wrote it and have his like songwriting credits on it. But I mean, at the same time, most people at the time um, weren't listening to his stuff. Everybody was focused on the Beatles and all that stuff. And um, um, as I think Ray Permi said, um, it was often combined with Black Mountainside um, and White Summer and. They would make it known as a White Summer Black Mountainside, which is weird. And it used to like run for about like 11 minutes. And then I could just imagine hearing that for 11 minutes. Um, beer run! Must have been, must have been, yeah. <laughs> beer, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it must have been a pretty like um, unprecedented thing for um, Led Zeppelin to play. Because you were there for, you know, the um, screams and the wailing guitars solos, so... I, I, I can imagine that being kind of weird. <laughs> well, fuck. What the hell am I supposed to say now? I know. I'm just going to repeat what everybody else says, like I always <laughs> do. So this is more or less an instrumental snippet from a longer page composition called White Summer that he would play in concert, which was actually heavily <clears throat> borrowed from a traditional Irish folk song called Black Waterside that was recorded by Bert Jench in 1966. Now, Page's thieving chicanery aside, this is a fabulous acoustic guitar piece with added tabla percussion from Viram Jasani. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And it's got an Eastern or Indian vibe due to the dad-gad tuning on the guitar, a tuning Page would return to for songs like Cashmere, which the professor referenced. Jimmy Page is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Shit like this is one of the reasons why. The next track is Communication Breakdown, written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, and Robert Plant. Professor, school us. One of the first songs the band worked on. Based on a Jimmy Page riff, this would close the show as a prelude to what to expect from the new Yardbirds. Two minutes and 30 seconds of straightforward, in-your-face, kick-you-in-the-crotch rock. A song about Plant seeing a girl he wants so bad that he cannot communicate. Anyone ever met a woman who is such a knockout you couldn't speak? If she spoke to you, your reply would make no earthly sense at all. This is cock rock personified. It's proto-punk. I actually heard a punk band cover this at about 100 times faster, and it sounded like absolute garbage, but they captured the mood of the song quite well. The main riff and Bonham's snare and cymbal crashes are what speeding tickets are made of. 
Turn the volume up to 11 and slam the pedal down to the metal as you sing along and play steering wheel guitar along with that ferocious blistering solo. And I know I'm not the only one that does that. Drive me insane. Ah! <laughs> this is an awesome song. I love this tune. <laughs> Lou. <laughs> what a great fucking riff, man. Classic Robert Robot Percy Howell. This drives the song to a frenzy. Love it. Shows off every member equally. A full fucking throttle. I hear a lot of punk bands in this track. I mean, think about it. Ironically, Zeppelin is one of the bands that punk really sought to squash, but holy shit, fucking juggernaut force and great first single. Sal. I mean, this song, uh, it was the lead single, and with, I mean, there's a big reason for that. I mean, it exemplified what Led Zeppelin meant and what Led Zeppelin was uh, after at the time. I mean, this is 1969. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that Robert Plant was over here screaming, I'm having a nervous breakdown, like crazy. Um, it's just amazing. And about the song, I mean, I, what I can take about this is he's just trying to express his true feelings. That uh, is about a girl that makes him weak in the knees. And um, I just think it's an amazing song. I think it exemplifies amazingly what Led Zeppelin was going after at the time. And, what would become the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Sam, what do you think? Man, I, I love this song too. Uh, this is my girlfriend's favorite song. Uh, my current girlfriend. She, uh, she says that communication brings out, she's like, it's a great album. But when it gets to this, it's the, it's a faster riff and it's a, uh, she, she likes it because it's a little happier and more of a fast pace. And it's a, it, she, and she's right, you know, because it breaks up all the, indulgent things that they've done so far and, you know this rock out and like jimmy goes off you know he's got the palm mutes and uh see you know like paranoid and like he, he and naomi they all knew each other it's not a that big of a town they all kind of rip off each other and so that's really cool in my opinion and it's not my least favorite uh zeppelin song ever but i mean it's all about the riff on this one and it's still another classic banger and it's and all, uh, what what you said, Salvador, uh, another song that uh, had that back in uh, was uh, Jimi Hendrix had Manic Depression, you know, and this was another song that uh, sang about that, you know, having a nervous breakdown. Manic Depression was the, another one. I'm not sure there's a few others, but yeah, it was it was rare for them to sing about that. That's all. Holy shitballs, Batman. Zeppelin brings the fucking lead on this one. A chugging rocker that would prove massively influential to the hard rock and nascent heavy metal genres. I mean, it's a prototype. Big, pounding drums, racing bass locked into the groove, heavy riffs that make you want to bang your head along with a searing guitar solo, and a singer who can raise the roof and shatter eardrums with his raw, emotive power. Even Johnny Ramone cited this as an influence on him, so this also reaches into punk rock, and fuck yeah, this is the kind of shit that made Zeppelin a monster rock force, but it also kind of pigeonholed them into a box that the band was perceived to reside in by the uninitiated and the media. Of course, we know better. 
The penultimate track is I Can't Quit You Baby, written by Willie Dixon. I said, I can't quit you, baby. I guess I got to put you down. Lou, what do you think? Well, here we have Mr. Page and company ripping off or tipping their hat to poor old Willie Dixon again. He's sure getting a lot of ex- exposure on this record. Um, I wonder if he's as glad as they'll, they think he'll be. If I was Jimmy Page, I'd stay far away from Willie Dixon, lest I get my pasty, skinny ass handed to me. <laughs> Um, okay, back to the tune. Robot, after all that, you can't quit, huh? My God, man, you're whipped. <laughs> <laughs> she, oh, must be... <laughs> she must be able to suck a golf ball through 50 feet of garden hose. <laughs> Holy crap, man. Grab a hold of yourself and get the fuck away from this fucking cheating hua. <laughs> what the hell, man? He's really starting to be that buddy that we all can't pull up his pants and break the fuck up with whatever bitch who's always been treating him like shit and boning <laughs> all other dudes right under his nose. I'm all for being there for a friend when there's a point where... You're like, all right, already. Man, the fuck up and get the fuck out of there already. <laughs> Shit or get off the pot. Come on. Nobody Just likes a whiner. Bon Scott. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes a whiner. Right. <laughs> What's next? She's pregnant. Come on. <laughs> Funny how the kid has brown eyes and both their eyes are blue. <laughs> I'd say get a get a visectomy, but that only makes the baby look like the gardener or the mailman. Sal. <laughs> so as Sammy, you mentioned uh he's he's that friend that is complete whiner, doesn't let go. Dude, um, take many lessons from him. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was funnily enough written about a relationship that Otis Redding was at, at the time, I believe. And it was written by um, Willie Dixon. Um, have any of you guys heard the Willie Dixon version? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could tell that he, um, uh, Robert Plant, gets that screeching um, intro, vocal intro to it from him. And uh, I think it's kind of funny that um, Sammy was talking about all, we all have a friend that is kind of the whiner. And in this case, it was Otis, <laughs> Otis Rush. Um, <laughs> it's funny to think that, I mean, Willie Dixon wrote it about a relationship that Otis Rush was at the time, and then Otis Rush recorded it in 1956. Um, and I don't know if he was aware of it. Maybe he was. Um, but yeah. I mean, other than that, I mean, it's just your great, simple, top bar blues. It's so great. I mean, god damn, this song is so amazing. The drums on this, ridiculous. I mean, they were, they were mixed and mastered so amazingly by Jimmy Page. And yeah, this song just takes you on a journey that... Um, can't get away from you can't quit 
Sam. I was uh, taken aback for a second because I don't give a shit who wrote it. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Have you heard this fucking song? This is badass, man. Bam down. Get the fuck out of here, man. This is bluesy as fuck, too heavy as fuck notes on this hook. That's just like, ah, you damn right. It's, you know, Led Zeppelin's here. Who gives a shit who writes the songs? Jimmy switches up these damn pickups, man, when he's playing this damn song, man. He switches up and playing this sweet, like, lady singing sweet tone on that neck pickup, and then he s- slams it down to the bridge. Get, oh, my God. And the kids pay attention. Pay the fuck attention. Sweet chords, sweet tones. Jonesy's holding it down like the fucking rock that he is. The Rock of Gibraltar, or whatever rock they have over there in Britain, London, where the fuck he's from. <laughs> oh man, there are some mistakes in this in this tune, man. You know what? It makes me love it even more. I love it when they're fucking up. It's just a little late. Uh, Bonham is coming down just a second late. It's badass. And just get the fuck out of here. This is fucking. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm gonna calm down, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calm down. That is classic, Sam. I love it. Yes, Professor. I can't get you, babe. <laughs> Good God, how that starts! That's so awesome. So Led Zeppelin obviously met a lot of women that were great in bed and crazy in the head. Damn, the rock stars get all the nymphos. Yes. Another white boy English blues standard that all the other bands that I mentioned were doing at the same time. But this is a slow, plodding, 12-bar blues that Page and Bonham own. Page uses it as an extended solo piece, and Bonham's back with those ankle-breaking triplets on the kick drum. You hear me moaning and groaning, babe? Another lusty, angst-driven performance from Mr. Robert Plant. It's a great song. I like this one from the very first listen. The drum roll that fades into the it fades out at the end of this into the piece de resistance song. This is awesome. So we get a Willie Dixon blue standard first recorded in 1956 by Otis Rush. So Zeppelin can't pretend they wrote this one. And it's a straight 12-bar blues done in the Chicago style. Now, there are two points I want to make about this. I dig the quick bass drum notes Bonham plays in the second half of the solo section. It's really cool. And they kind of get a little sloppy. It sounds like Paige is a little early with the main lick coming out of the solo, and the rest of the band kind of reacts and covers it up And before they go back into it. It's pretty funny. It's almost like he's like, oh, shit. And he, plays a little, he noodles a little bit and then hits, hits the second part of that riff. It's kind of funny. I love it. This is fine. The blues is obviously a foundation of the Zeppelin sound, and I'm a big blues fan. But of all the blues numbers they put on their records, this is my least favorite. And it is my least favorite track on this album. And Lou, it's Aaron Stinky Stinker. You are insane. (laughs) You're wrong, sir. (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm going to point this out. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt, guys. I'm sorry. But you're going to have to like do a Patreon thing to where you go back and review some of the damn choices that you've made, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I respect it. 
<laughs> and that brings us to the final track, How Many More Times, written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, and Robert Plant. Salvador, how about this last one? This is my favorite. This this song, it's such a visceral experience to listen to. The whole wow, 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 wow. It's just amazing. I mean, this song is just amazing. It was written by all members, and it was, <laughs> it was. You could tell that they they knew that the song was just amazing, and there's a reason why <laughs> Jimmy Page um, marked it as three thirty so the radio could play it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so because he knew this shit was amazing, so. Yeah, it's my favorite song. It contains everything you could ever possibly want from Led Zeppelin, the violin bow. Like I said, they knew the song was a freaking kicker because, um, I mean, it was eight minutes and 28 and they cut it down to three minutes so it could promote radio play. And yeah, it was just amazing. My interpretation of this song is, you know, it could symbolize a broken slash materialistic relationship where he tries to get her together. It was derived from Heldon Wolf's How Many More Years one of the most amazing reworks of Led Zeppelin, definitely. Sam? Uh, again, Salvador, good job. Uh, you're not going to have a problem, man. Man, <laughs> they're showing off here now, right? How many more times? Am I going to listen to this? As many as it fucking takes. <laughs> as many as it takes. And now the man, one of my favorite bands is just fucking showing off on the ninth song they presented to the world. And, and I love this shit, Aaron. I I really I I, I don't envy your task when because I always love the, the snippets that you you know pick when you're uh you know choosing to on when you're uh, you know playing for the podcast. It's always almost always exactly the the spot that I would choose. But on this one, I don't know what the fuck you're gonna do, man. <laughs> it's just so much. I mean, it's just like right into this jazzy, trippy thing. It, it, it tricks you into a sick-as-fuck clinic on how to play American-influenced British blues rock. Goddamn, John Bonham. You are unrivaled. And then when you think it's over, the song's over. No. Goddamn it, John Bonham hits you with some drummers from Jester for the fucking... And I, oh, goddamn it, I love when he's fucking with me. He's fucking with me. And I love him for fucking with me. <laughs> And uh, man, when he starts singing, when they, they call me the hunter, and that's my name. They call me the hunter. Yeah, you know what? I got something for Danzig, too. <laughs> Fuck Danzig. <laughs> I, there. I know exactly what you did there, Danzig. Led Zeppelin stole this fair and square. You can't steal it, too. <laughs> so fuck off, Glenn Danzig. I don't give a shit how short fucking jacked you are, you vampire bastard. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry. Short guy. vampire best. You son of a bitch. Don't you ever fucking talk back to me. <laughs> I stole this fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> this is Led Zeppelin, man. This is Paige's vision realized. And he's a lucky damn bastard to have a 
Robert Plant and John Bonham and Jonesy playing with him, man. But hats off to him. He did it. And this is, it, it might be the best debut ever. Who's better? I don't know, man. These guys. <laughs> man. That's all. Professor. Holy shiz. <laughs> this song is a juggernaut. Originally listed as three minutes, 30 seconds on the back cover. Page did this. Everybody thought it was to do is to trick radio stations into playing the song. I don't know if that's, I don't, I don't think they would probably do it once and then they'd probably get mad at him. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, incidentally, Kid Leo, uh, the star DJ of WMMS in Cleveland when they were really big and later of New York radio identified this as not only his favorite Zeppelin song, but his favorite song period. Um, as Robert Plant introduced it during the Plant and Page 1998 tour, it's a little psychedelic jazz. Yeah, the kind of jazz that punches you in the throat and kicks you in the balls. <laughs> this, this song was an amalgam of songs by Albert King, Booker T and the MGs, and referencing Howlin' Wolf along with ideas and, quote, little pieces Page developed when he was with the Yardbirds, as were other numbers such as Dazed and Confused. It was played live in the studio with cues and nods. So, Lou, it was the yes and jamming style. That's it. The bedrock structure of the song was a song Plant and Bonham played in the Band of Joy and Plant in subsequent bands that he was in prior to Zeppelin. Page also claims that the Yardbirds did a similar version of this on stage, but I couldn't find any recordings of it. Um, the rolling bass line that, that Jones puts down and then Bonham tickling that ride cymbal, and Page distorted wah-wah licks, plant scream that starts off as a ghost vocal and ends as a properly recorded one, which always freaks me out. Yeah. It all sets the mood of this song, the last shimmering notes from Page, and Bonham's fill into that riff, that menacing, stalking riff, along with Bonham's manic fills throughout the whole song. How many more times are you going to treat me the way you want to do? Damn. At uh, two minutes and eight seconds, that distorted solo over the drum fill is straight out of hell <laughs> in a good way. And then it mimics Bex Bolero coming out of it. And then he goes into that another another liquid mercury violin bow that just couldn't fit better. And then the Oh Rosie, Oh Girl. Damn, I love this song. This is the best song on this album. Lou. Here's another example of the wall of sound that this band generates. It's like a montage of heaviness. It's got a few different parts. Equal theft of early abuse numbers, uh, siphoned through fuzz pedals and crank 100-watt marshals and pounded out on double-coil humbuckers. Slabs of mahogany and Ludwig drums. Push through a blender of rock, psychedelia, and blues to give you a sonic masterpiece. Layered guitars, pounding drums, and a bass line that keeps you moving your booty. <laughs> <laughs> they slow down as they enter into a soaking wet room of reverb. So wet that you can have to wipe yourself off. I can almost... <laughs> I can almost imagine Robert's breath as he moans in between violent stabs of Paige's guitars as the crescendo comes to a halt. Oh, 
say you definitely do know into moke mode for month wall. Anyway, yeah, you do. You need to go through monk full monk mode for a while, dude. Um, take up a hobby, woodworking, welding. <laughs> Buy a fucking motorcycle with a solo seat. I, I don't know. You got no luck with women. You have the habit of letting them walk all over you once you do the fucking deed with them. Jesus fucking Christ. Grow a fucking set of balls already. Whoops! Oh, no! Well, I did it again. Wait. Fucking spears? Holy fuck! How can I not fucking hear that now? Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, now I let my children on my own. Dick control, man. Have some fucking dick control. I got another child on the way and makes it live. What the fuck did you say? Huh? <laughs> Eleven, bro. Got some TV. Jesus fucking Christ or something. What the fuck? Tighten the knot. Get a hobby, dude. You're fucked, man. Ow, Rosie. Oh, Rose. Yeah. In the words of the immortal blind dog, Willie Brown, the blues ain't nothing. But a good man feeling bad. That's all. Oh, preach. Once with. Oh, God damn, that felt good to get out. (laughs) It felt good to hear, man. (laughs) (laughs) This epic tune is my favorite on the fucking record. Every second of the record. I fucking love it. Louis singing at the top of my lungs in the car. At red lights, I've been known to cause people quickly avoid my eye contact and roll <laughs> up their windows. Holy shit, you sound like the Twilight Zone, dude. <laughs> no, no, you got to turn First right purpose. to him and sing right at him. Hey, turn yeah. and hit him right in the eye. That's what I do. <laughs> Rolling it up is not to be in my sight Fuck you! I got you in the sights of my gun. That'll get anybody to move. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Uh, Well, so this is the longest track on the album. I dig Page's main riff, and the track is kind of a mishmash of blues-inspired licks and lyrics that are appropriated from such songs as Howling Wolf's How Many More Years... Albert King's The Hunter and Jimmy Rogers' Kisses Sweeter Than Wine. But these are more inspirations and outright rips, and I can easily overlook them in the broader scheme of things, more forgivable than some of the other shit on this album. The center of the track has a bolero passage that Paige brought over from Bex Bolero that introduces more spooky bow guitar, our horny humpback whale is returned. While Plant vocally riffs on having 10 kids and one on the way, and there's a spontaneous vibe to this that feels loose and kind of disjointed. This is Zeppelin throwing the kitchen sink at a song and seeing what sticks. And this sticks to my ear canals like a sweaty pair of underwear to my gonads after a two-hour gym workout. I love the unholy frig out of this, and it was the closing number of Zeppelin's sets of their early career. 
Now that the Trek by Trek is finished, we'll head over to our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got sued for plagiarism and had to cough up a ginormous settlement. Salvador, what are your final thoughts on Led Zeppelin 1? This song is what introduces you to what Led Zeppelin would become. I mean, just such a ginormous band that would exemplify their feelings into their songs and this album five out of five you can't go wrong with this album covers or not like you guys said who gives a shit who wrote them they're the they're theirs and they're amazing and this this is this album is what introduces everybody to the love for led zeppelin sam man i feel like joey diaz should should explain this to you for me you guys familiar with joey diaz yeah, of course joey motherfucking diaz yeah fucker you cocksucker you fucking love that motherfucker don't fucking assault me with this bullshit there's five fucking stars <laughs> <laughs> uh, joey diaz but i can't do it but man come on this is fucking brilliant this is one of the greatest rock and roll bands ever like it's like their announcement it's like here we are and I think it may be one of the best debut albums of all time. And I know that there may be an argument for Sabbath or other bands, but this is in the conversation. There's no doubt about it. And if you leave it out of conversation, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And if you don't like dogs, then fuck you. <laughs> okay. Which is endorsed by all the members of this podcast. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> And if you don't like Led Zeppelin, then get the fuck off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off my <laughs> Professor. Unlike most bands, Led Zeppelin didn't have years of shows and years to develop their catalog before they recorded their first album. The old trope of a band having years to create their debut and only months or a year to come up with a follow-up release didn't apply to them. Led Zeppelin formed so quickly, it was uh, on Monday, July 8th, 1968, the Yardbirds played their last show in Luton, which is a uh, place in East Anglia. And then Page was off under the gun because he had a uh, him and Grant owned the, the Yardbirds name. And there was a tour schedule that they already received money for in Scandinavia. They had to come up with a band. So they, he found everybody that he could get. And he knew what he wanted. He really was trying to get. Keith Moon and John Entwistle, and when he decided they weren't going to move anywhere, he went on moving to some other people. And uh, Robert Plant was suggested to him, and Robert Plant was at the same time suggested to to go look up Jimmy Page at the same time. They got together. They spent a week in Plant's boathouse in Pangborn and just kind of musically bonded over, of all things, the Joan Baez version of Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. But they got all the band together, and during a, a session for Hurdy Gurdy Man, uh, John Paul Jones came up to him and said, hey, you looking for a bass player? After Chris, Chris Dredge decided he was going to back out and go play Mr. Photographer. So they got Bonham and they went into the they went into a, a small little room in Jared Street, which is in now part of London's Chinatown on Monday, August 19th, 1968. And they played and they said they basically caught lightning in a bottle when they played. Robert Plant said, I'd never been so turned on in my life. Although we were all steeped in the blues and R&B, we found out in the first hour and a half that we played that we had our own identity. Page has said many times what, what it was like to play there for that first time. And there's actually, supposedly, he's got a recording of it. Well, it's pretty 
probably a pretty rough recording. By September 7th, Saturday, 1968, they, they kick off their 17-day Scandinavian tour, basically knowing no, no music. They had 10 songs that they played, I Can't Quit You Babe, um, How Many More Times, Muddy Waters, You Shook Me, an electric version of a folk song by Joan Baez called Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, Communication Breakdown, they played The Yardbirds for Your Love, and they opened with Train Kepa Rollin, and they had As Long As I Have You. That's what they came up with. They came back from that tour on Wednesday, on Tuesday, September 24th, and then on Wednesday, September 25th, the day after their initial tour, they were in the studio, exactly 11 weeks to the day after the Yardbirds' last show, and they recorded this in 36 hours. That's incredible. And it shows with this band how... The the energy that comes off of this this album, that's what makes this. It's it's harder. It's it seems like it's live. This is just such an urgency of this band. And I know it's happened so many times since they disbanded. But Page, it's no wonder why he wanted to keep this band going. And Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins, he said that that uh, Zeppelin's influence after they came on 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 seventies rock and everything that followed them was so severe. And so ingrained that it became part of musical DNA. That's the kind of impact these guys had. They, they were right up there. They, I mean, immediately they were put up there with the Beatles and the Stones and Floyd. I mean, those are those are four bands on Mar- Mount Rushmore. So, absolutely. So yeah, this this is a this is a five for me. So, Lou, final thoughts and album ratings. Although this is one of the last records for me to get into. As a Zeppelin fan, I'm a, a, a very big Zeppelin fan. It's one of my favorites. They follow a formula here of taking a classic blues record and pushing it through a psychedelic, overdriven, distorted false box of pounding the fuck out of it as if it was a vagina shape chicken cutlet. <laughs> what the fuck? Remind me never to eat at your house. Oh what the fuck are you doing, Lou? <laughs> I give this chicken cutlet a four and nine. Four point nine. <laughs> Clearly, it's a genre bending super classic uh, that has stood the test of time. I'd listen to this record just as much today, just as fucking loud too, as I would have. How many more times? Oh man, (laughs) just forever. As I would back in the late seventies when I heard it. It's the fucking best. I fucking love fucking Led Zeppelin. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cleveland. Good night. (laughs) Hello, (laughs) it still sounds so fresh. It sure fucking does. Yeah, yeah. sounds great, man. Fifty-one years up. later, it's fucking incredible. Led Zeppelin is a tentpole band for me. One of my very favorites. In my top five, they're okay. They're my second favorite band of all time, and they have been for well over thirty years. From listening to my dad's records to exploring the Zeppelin catalog on my own, they've always been a source of inspiration and adulation for me. It was through Zeppelin that I became interested in the roots of rock and roll and developed a taste for the blues and folk that I've always carried with me ever since. 
The individual players are among my favorites on their instruments. And right from the very first album, you can hear that intangible quality all the great bands have called chemistry. This record was not a favorite of mine at first. I'd always gravitated to the later albums where Zeppelin became more musically adventurous, I guess you could say, allowing uh, more exotic music, funk, country, even reggae influences to kind of seep into the mix with admittedly mixed results. But I remember taking a long drive with a buddy of mine. I think I was helping him move or some shit like that. I was around 19 years old at the time, and he had like two cassettes in his truck that we played over and over as we hit the road. And one of them was Led Zeppelin 1. And I listened to it how many more times, Salvador? I don't know, like 10 times, whatever it was that day. And it was then that I truly absorbed what the band was serving up here. It just clicked. And I recognized that this was the basic blueprint for all the later stuff that I love so much. So this album rose in my estimation, as I said earlier, more than any other Zeppelin album. It's not perfect it's raw and unrefined but you're getting a taste of a young hungry band that had grand ambitions to conquer the world and conquer the world they did they're not above criticism and beginning around the early 2000s i noticed there seemed to be a groundswell of backlash against them and i think it was largely due to the fact that for nearly their entire career they borrowed fuck it let's call it what it was stole material from other artists and didn't properly credit them for the theft And does that bother me? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. And it does annoy me that the band, mostly to this day, shrugs it off like a dog scratching at an annoying flea. But I would put forth, as many others have, as we have throughout this entire podcast, that Zeppelin expanded upon the source material, added their own elements, and truly made it their own music. Do you really think of Jake Holmes when you consider the song Dazed and Confused? No, you think of Led fucking Zeppelin. And this band has more than earned its place in the pantheon of all-time greats. The legend goes that Keith Moon once said that the new Yardbirds would go down like a lead balloon, which gave the fledgling band its new moniker. Little did Mooney know how this band would soar, overshadowing and overlording all it surveyed, and it all began right here with this record. Just look at that album cover featuring the Hindenburg disaster. It tells you the music therein is on fucking fire. I give Led Zeppelin one a four and a half, And with this album, this band put all the other rock acts at the time on notice. Now we'd like to thank Salvador Manzo for taking flight on the Led Zeppelin with us. I hope you had a good time, man. I know you took, I know you went through a lot. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. It was such an amazing experience. Absolutely. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? No, no. You guys, the show. Oh, hey, thank you very Uh, much. That's off. We'll, We'll promote you. Yeah, Welcome. yeah, dude. Impressive Welcome. taste for a nineteen-year-old. For popping your podcast, Cherry Man, you did a phenomenal job. You really did. <laughs> yeah. you really did. Welcome addition right. to this. Yep. Damn right. Yep. Thank you guys. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at ridiculousrockrecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron, and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. 
So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. I'm Ray. I'm Louis. See ya. Nobody else has got anything? <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> I think we're good. All right. See you. We'll do it. <laughs> I'm 19, actually. Holy All right. shit! <laughs> <laughs> wow! What are you hanging out with a bunch of old people for? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an old soul, I guess. Nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Nineteen digging Zeppelin. That's that's you cool. Born in 2002. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's wow. why I feel like the outcast right now. Wow. All right. You are the outcast now. Great album, so. Yeah. 2002. Man, my baby girl is older than you. I'm watching my language. My son's older than you. Both my kids are older than him. Oh, man. Wait. Oh, man. Hey, but this is a great. That's a great sign, though, man, because he's into Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. It's, it's gonna keep going. Nobody's ever gonna tour Japan. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I agree with that. That's great. I love it. And welcome I'm to. Re- oh, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. No problem, man. No problem. I'll cue you in. I'll cue you in. Uh, cool. Salvador, and you can talk. Okay. Nope. Don't don't apologize, man. It's all good. It's all good. God damn it. No problem. Fucking a, Sal. <laughs> You're never coming on again. <laughs> we gotta do it all over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go.